This is Kate Orman. I'm typing hard. But in the meantime, enjoy the Sirens of Audio. Ow. You're about to hear a very loud dog come down the stairs from my neighbour, so... That's okay. But you'll think there's something. There's a hockey team going out, isn't it? I'm surprised Philip's dog hasn't come in yet. Usually no, no. Philip's... I've got the dogs, dogs, dogs out. The dog's out at the moment. But it's when someone oh. comes home, they start yapping. <laughs> Fair enough. I love my dogs. Dwayne, I wanted Dwayne, to ask you if we don't understand dogs. <laughs> I, lo- I love them. I don't be like that, Philip. <laughs> really thrown him in it there. I don't he have one, but I can, I can still understand them. We have subscribed to the Sirens of Audio YouTube channel and given the show a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Why have you not returned our ambassadors? G'day audiophiles, this is the Sirens of Audio, the show that explores the universe of Doctor Who in the audio medium. I'm F- Dwayne. I'm the Philip. <laughs> that <laughs> terrible. You- I know, I don't know what you're doing. Hey, hey audiophiles, welcome. That's oh, throwing me totally out. This, I, this, is how, this is how we're supposed to start, Dwayne. We're all out of whack now, but this is how it's 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 recorded. It's done. We're doing it in one take. That's it. Okay. All right. We've got, a, we've got a great show coming up. We're, we're going to be speaking with the incredible Beth Chalmers, who's been with Big Finish for quite a long time now and keeps popping up in various roles and some guest roles and some longer term roles. So it's going to be great to have a chat with her and uh, get some of her insights into her career and and uh, working for Big Finish. Yes, and Beth Chalmers has one of those voices that just melts my heart. So there's a few, there's a few of them. Um, you know, Pamela Salem's another one, and Helen Goldwyn's another one. And now also... I've only got one thing to say about that, Philip. Ditto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before we get to our chat with Beth, uh, there is one thing we need to do. Do you know what that is? Um, go down the rabbit hole. Oh, well, that's stolen my thunder, isn't it? I'm going to say it anyway. Let's go down the rabbit hole. Here we go. Okay, Philip. Okay, we are here in the rabbit hole, and um, we, we've got Beth Chalmers. We've we've got um, We've had some guests recently who have acted for Big Finish in various different roles over the years, and I want to I want to ask you: Are there some are there any particular actors that you can think of that stand out? Guest actors who have been quite large voices in Big Finish over the last twenty something years that they've been going. Can you think of any? Uh, I've got a list in front of me. You don't. Well, no, I don't. I hate how you just throw things like this at me. Well, let me give you a couple. Okay. How about this? How about this for early big finish? Ian Brooker. There's yes. a voice. There's a voice Ugh. that stands out to me. 
Yes. Um, and he pops up in many, many big films. I can't remember what the last one he did was. I haven't heard much of him, but he still pops up from time to time, I think. Yep. But but he was there a lot. Uh, we've, we've spoken a lot with Jez Fielder recently for various things, and I didn't realise before speaking to him how much he'd been in. He's been in heaps. He has. Cause he keeps well, mainly because he's got two or three names. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, what about Annette Badland? Yes. She is one of those guest actors that pops up and oh, she does various different roles, doesn't she? So she she's she's played the role that she played on Doctor Who on television for Big Finish, yep. but she's done many, many other things as well and is a a reliable actor that comes and does what, what Big Finish order. So she's a good one too. Have you thought of any other names yet that stand out yeah. to you? I was thinking about Stephen Wickham. From the early oh, days yes. as well. Yes, um, yes, yes. Very low, very booming voice. And um, yep. I mean, the Father Vulcan is when I first noticed him. But mm-hmm. he continued on with a number of other very interesting roles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person in terms of Anthony Keach from early days. Yep. Gone, so plays a lot of roles. Probably most famous would be the, is he Chancellor in Neverland? Um, I think so. Okay, I can't remember. I can't. I can't One of the roles there, all yeah. those Gallifreyan roles, but he he he's, he recurs in a few a few different ones until they finally kill him off. But Anthony Keats has appeared in a lot of earlier ones. So that's that's a couple of actors. And don't forget Helen Goldwyn. Well, yes. Even I though mean, she's a big name now, she's <sighs> for for directing and that kind of thing. Back then, she was appearing regularly as guest cast, yes. even before the Tomorrow People. Yes, she's doing well, Maggie, lots of Maggie stuff. Maggie Stables was, you know, a lot of guest cast parts as well. Hmm. She, you know, she started off on Benny's guest cast. She came in the Sirens of uh, the Sirens of Time guest cast. So yep. she did lots of bits and pieces until they brought her on as a companion. Yep. How about this for a, a, a regular cast member who's done lots of things but doesn't change his voice much? David Warner. Yes. Lots and yep. lots of things he's popped up in. Um, 20, and, 20, and his, his, his 20 anniversary is, is this month. Well, it depends when this goes out. It was after June. Sympathy of the Devil. Sympathy, Sympathy of the Devil was the first time he appeared for Big Finish 20 years yep. ago. And yep. goodness knows how many different roles he's played. Um, but yeah, yeah, yes, and as I, I mean, I've said this to Lisa, in terms of I don't comprehend how someone who doesn't change their voice can be so totally different in every production they do mm. in his character. He just has this presence that just changes his character even though that beautiful, rich voice he always he always has. He just leans on a certain intonation and changes it completely, although it's still recognisable David Warner. Yeah. And, and an early standout for me was Selling the Vet in Spare Parts, because mm-hmm. that, that role really stood out for me, even though yeah, I guess it, maybe she was already a name, but that's one of those roles that, that really stood out. Because it was so different to Jenna, do you mean? Yes, which once again it was still her voice, but it, it just, yeah, it's just such a powerful role, and she just made it her own, and that 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 whole play is just an amazing play. I'll give you some more names. What about Mark Elstob for someone more recent? Definitely, he pops up all the time, but he's got a voice that he, that is very chameleonic and changes a lot. Um, let's not forget Glenn McCready, who's done many many episodes and he'll be he'll be joining us as a guest next time for our next episode um so looking forward to sharing that one with you um and of course beth Chalmers. 
is one of those actors who pops up and does lots of things. Um, and we're going to talk with her more about that soon. Um, oh, there was one I forgot to mention. Oh, there's a couple I forgot to mention. How about Angeli Mahindra? Yes. She's, she's she, appeared in a lot of stuff recently, isn't she? Yep. Lots of lots of recent things. And, of course, let's not forget, it's not just the, the, the lesser-known actors. It's the big actors who come back and keep doing more stuff too, like Mark Bonner. Yes. Which is it's amazing the huge names that they have. But look at the characters Mark Bonner does. He's done yep. Space 1999. He's done um, 11. The, the Eleven. Um, they're the two big standout performances for me, but he's popping up in lots and lots of things over the years. Yeah. I see another couple of early ones. Um, Robert Kirbishley was yep. in a lot of early, a lot of early big finishes. And Lennox Graves also appeared in a lot of number early, early big finishes as well. Hmm. Yeah, they, 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 I think because big fish often talk about themselves being a family and I do think mm -hmm. that when they find actors they like, they do keep finding as many opportunities as they can to keep using them. And yeah, and obviously lots of actors just love going back. There was one actor, I couldn't think of his name, but I think it's come to me. Is it Mark Bremer who played the original Ice Warrior Lord in Red Dawn? Is it Mark Bremer? Is that who uh, it was? right. <clears throat> I can look can it you up. look it up for me since I you got will. it in front of you? Matthew ah, Brenner. Matthew. Matthew Bremer. So I was close. He was in he was he was in a lot of um early ones too. Not just playing the Ice Warrior, but lots and lots of different roles. So yep. No, George Moffat was in that too. In Red Dawn? Yeah, George Moffat. Gary really? Russell, Robert Jesrick, Jason Haig Ellery, Stephen Fuel. Matthew oh, Brennan, Nicola Pryde, Peter James. What an amazing there's an, cast. There's another one, Robert Jessick. He, Robert he Jessick. played lots of things as well. So, and But Frobisher. he's got one of those very recognisable voices because he had the American accent too. So yep. he'd always he'd always stood out. Um, so, yeah, some, some great regulars throughout the years in Big Finish. Would you agree? Oh, I agree. <laughs> very good. All right, <laughs> let's climb up out of the rabbit hole. What should we play as a trailer before we get into the interview with Beth? Philip? All right, so let's throw in a trailer for Gallifrey War Room 1, where Beth is playing the character, or the recurring character of Vecklin. And then we'll be back with her in just a sec. From Big Finish Productions, Gallifrey War Room, Volume 1. This is what Gallifrey comes to. Cruel creatures ruled by a monster. A monster, you say? I am a visionary. And you will have your part in achieving that vision. You see, Leela, I have plans for you. We want the same thing. I need to be sure I can rely on you out here. That I can trust you. And I want you to know that you can trust me. Oh, we have a biosign. A Dalek. One passenger. Two heartbeats. What a terrible time lord I'd become. Mm, I only like the terrible ones. Romana would be amused. Oh, I can imagine. Laughing at me for the mess I've become. <laughs> if she could see us both right now. She would be proud, Narvin. Step away from the console. Cardinal, I must protect... Stand down, Commander! Leela, stop! Never! I know this is a difficult choice. One way or another... You will serve Gallifrey. The only choice you have is how. 
Big finish for the love of stories. So we now have Beth Chalmers. Beth, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. So before, before we talk about some of your big finish work, do you want to give us a bit of background in terms of um, what made you decide to become an actress? An actress? Crikey. Yeah. Um, I think I always wanted to be one, which is very boring. I don't think I had that wonderful epiphany moment. I always, I played Will Scarlet at school in when I was about, six and I thought I love this and then I got all the rubbish parts in all the school plays I didn't get to Lula in um Daisy Pulls It Off that was that was a very big blow age 13 um <laughs> uh, and then I did some more plays and thought this is fun and but I had to go to drama I went to university before drama school because I know some people say you know uh, you have to you have to take the risk and believe in yourself and don't have a fallback plan because you know, all the very successful people go, well, I, I luckily I made it. Uh, but uh, I did have a fallback plan and I did some, I did teaching at university because um, I thought I wanted to teach and then I did some teaching and then I realised I didn't like children as much as I thought. A lot of teachers don't like children. They just go in there to inflict as much pain as possible. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I kind of like, I kind of, I had that ridiculous thing of thinking, I'm going to inspire, <laughs> I'm going to be Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds. But it wasn't like that at all. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I did that. Um, and then I went to drama school. And in actual fact, at university, we did loads of plays. I did The Freshest Play with Sasha Baron Cohen. And I did, uh, I wow. worked with David and Robert Webb. And I worked with loads of people and really good people. We did a massive array of um, of plays and comedies and dramas and uh, and it was fantastic. And then I went to drama school, and we had to sort of think. We had to sort of think about it a lot and theorize, theorize about it a lot. And it just felt. I felt that I learned a lot more, and it did a lot more for me doing plays at university, and just doing it and meeting people, than going to drama school and learning about the theory behind it. So, yeah, I went to drama school, but it did give me an agent, and it did give me the Carlton Hobbs, which. Uh, which, yes, no, uh, no, we've had a few of our guests that had the Carlton Hobbs. Tell, tell us a little bit about the Carlton Hobbs Award. Uh, a radio uh, award which is open to drama schools, and each drama school puts a, a team forward, and you you enter as a team and you enter individually as well. So um, each drama school might, I think the team might win, but they don't get a contract. But there's two, usually two contracts awarded every year, and you have to do a classical piece, a modern piece, and a group piece, and a directed piece. Um, and uh, in my year, in my uh, intake, there were six of us who were picked. So we got a six-month contract with the BBC, which is, was fantastic. You just work with the best people. And because it's radio, you work with so many people because the turnover is so fast. And you work with the best people. And you do exciting variety of things. You play things you would never otherwise be playing. And because you're on the rep, the varieties, they don't go, oh, is that was that perfect for Beth Chalmers? Or should we get someone else? They just go... We need someone to do a, a loud Geordie. I think, what? Normally, I think, please don't make me be a loud Geordie. I, I can't do it. But you have to. So, uh, and I played a New Zealander. And I remember I got called into the uh, office by Anna Williams. And she said, now, can you do a New Zealand accent? <laughs> I said, give me three weeks. I'll be native. And then I walked out and thought, it's really quite hard. <laughs> so, uh, Can you do I a said, bit for us now? I can certainly do a bit for you now. But I actually did. I went out to Auckland because I... I worked on um, 
on a play, on a series that I uh, produced in Auckland uh, called Mystic. And so I spent a lot of time talking in a New Zealand accent. But out there, I remember I had a little a phrase which got me into it, which was, um, Miss Hamilton sent me to find her cigarette case. And if I could say Miss Hamilton sent me that, that would be fine. So that was my New Zealand accent. And it, after a while, I did I did a, a, a um, an advert, a radio advert, and the producer at Capital was New Zealand, and I'd only just come back. And he said, you need to stop doing it in a New Zealand accent. And I thought, I, I really, it was really difficult to stop. So yeah, stop now. But um, yeah, I found it very hard not to speak in the accent. So what do you say you were doing? What else were you doing in New Zealand while you were there? Did you say some your own projects? What sort of projects? I wrote. Um, you see behind me that mystic that poster. Um, I wrote and produced uh, a TV show out there uh, for three seasons. It was CBBC, um, and we were shooting in Auckland. Right. So. How long ago was that? Uh, over the pandemic. So uh, we only, because we, it was three series, we, we, over the pandemic over here, we, we wrote, we were editing series one, writing series two, and story breaking series three. So uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good and busy time for us, but we were then having these late night calls. So we were always um, having midnight calls with, because we had to liaise with New Zealand all the time. So it was either really early morning or really late at night. Um, we know what that's like. Yeah, and a lot of, exactly. And a lot of internet issues as well. So I, I hope we're doing okay here. If you want me to do any We're doing internet. great at the moment. It's good to see. <laughs> so is there plans for more seasons or that it was a complete story in three? Um, sadly, it was just the three um, because CBBC is no longer a channel and they don't have the money and we were their most expensive series. Wow, um, so okay. Yeah, because it was shooting out there it was beautiful it was a beautiful series um and so well shot and uh, well, i mean you've got sand dunes and all the black sand beaches oh it was it was wonderful and horses and children yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, how it's pretty hard to get any series up and running and produced so how many years did it take you to actually get something approved and up and running well, this well actually it got turned down to start with. We a company came to us because there was a series of books called Pony Club Secrets by a writer called Stacy Gregg, and Libertine Productions in New Zealand wanted to make the series, but they wanted to do it in conjunction with BBC for the money and for the reach. So then they went to Slim Product, Slim Film and Television, who came to us and said, "Would you write it?" And my mother was the district commissioner of the, of, of the pony clubs of the South of England. And I was in the pony club and I was an inventor and, you know, my dad was a jockey. So I thought I, the horses bit, I thought I can write that. Um, so yeah, so they came to us and, um, and we sent to the BBC and they said no. And then one of the producers went to a meeting in Belfast, a great big thing, a uh, convention for, for lots of producers where they, all the commissioners said, this is what we're looking for. And she cornered them in the lift on the way home, on the way down and said, you've just told us everything you're looking for. And we sent you a series six weeks ago and it is every single thing on that list. Why have you said no? And they went, oh, and they took another look and they said, yes. <laughs> so thank God that she cornered them in the lift. Um, and then, so we were really lucky. It happened, I would say quite painlessly, but a couple of years. So do you do a lot of writing? Yeah, 
Yeah, I do. Because you go, I, I try and spin the plates. So I do acting and voiceovers and cartoons and writing because because you have to, unless you're right up there, you know, one of those actors that can just go, I'd like to be at the National now, um, which I, I don't get to call the shots. So I just want to keep busy. And those actors tend to be in everything that you see. <laughs> yeah, then... I know. Yeah. I know. It's my, surely it's my turn. But as you get older, as you get, I, I'm reaching the age where women stopped working. But I think now, now women of my age are, uh, are still working. So the, it's, the, the landscape's changing. So I'm hoping it isn't like all going to just, you know, fizzle away in front of me. Well, part of the reason you've got to keep writing is write parts for yourself and people like you to make sure it happens. It's weird. It's weird because you have to have a really strong calling card. Either you've got to be Danny Brocklehurst or Sally Wainwright or you've got to be a really big writer or you've got to say, we're going to put Saran Jones in it. But if you're sort of a known writer and a known actor, but you're not going to sell the series on either. (laughs) So I tend to just step back, write it. And then I hope in series two, I can wheedle myself in as someone's mum. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the hope. I wrote this thing on ITV, um, an ITV series, uh, an adult one, and uh, and I played, and we got Peter Davison in it, and um, and I played his daughter, and but really, like you just blink and you miss me because we thought when we get a series two, she'll be bigger, and we didn't get a series two. So what was that? What show was that? It was called Pat and Cabbage, which is not our title. Um, ITV, you know. It, 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 yeah, it, it, it was it was a, a faltering sort of thing. It had lots of flaws, but uh, but it was prime time. It was the first thing they put in that prime time slot for ten years, and they were terrified and they wanted to appeal to old and young and you know north and south and and cool and uncool. They wanted to appeal to everybody. So I think in the end, it fell between a lot of stools. Trying to improve everything, miss some, miss everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now it'd be great to talk about some of your Big Finish work. So 15 years ago, you first worked for Big Finish in Time Brief, directed by Barnaby Edwards. How was it that you came to work for Big Finish? I came to work for Big Finish because I did a play on Radio 4 called Rigor Mortis, a series, with Peter Davison. And I was in Soho and I got a phone call from him saying, where are you? Um, Can you get to Spotlight, which was three roads away? Um, to audition for Graceless, which was Laura Doddington and uh, um, uh, um, Kira, yeah, Kira Jensen. And and um, oh, clearly I was far too old, <laughs> but he was being ambitious for me, I think. And he said, go down. So I went down there and I auditioned and they liked me, but I wasn't right for that part. So I didn't get the Graceless role, but they called me in straight away and said, will you do this sort of, posh, pompous, loud woman, <laughs> a really annoyed woman trapped in a jar. I thought, yeah, all right. Um, I loved it. I really remember that role. I really, I kept thinking of I Dream of Jeannie. Um, so I remember doing it and I loved it. It was great fun. Okay. You didn't do a sort of selection of stuff. You did Bernie Summerfield, did some sort of work with Sylvester McCoy. Um, but then you kind of said it with Paul McGann, doing lots of Paul McGann's work. Um, how come you was this you had this variety because of your experience in terms of doing lots of voices um you know why were you, why were you so busy with so much work because i'm so good um because um because i think the variety i think they just thought 
especially with the Paul McGann things, I would read in. I think I was reading in for Sheridan sometimes, so I was there. So then they had this part and this part and this part. And then I would do lots of them. And yeah, and then I just kept turning up. <laughs> um, hopefully I'd like to think it's split my versatility. Um, but uh, it might just be my availability. Uh, yeah, but I work with them all. I think I've worked with Colin and Tom and Syl and uh, Peter. Peter, not much. Yeah. Peter Hardley. So Peter's, Peter's your friend who you knew, but you've not worked with him much? No, no. And he said to them, he said, I got her in. Why is she? Ne- why am I never in an episode with her? <laughs> you think? So I have done like one with him. Um, he, well, I went to Chicago, TARDIS, with him. And that was great. So uh, we, had a, we had a laugh. He's very fun. He's, he's a funny guy. Um, yeah, so I've worked with lots of them. I worked with John Hurt. Yes. Great. So, and to start with, he was down the line because he was up in Norfolk doing it and we could just hear him. But the minute you hear him in your earphones, it's kind of, you feel it. It's the nostalgia. You've grown up hearing that voice. And I remember thinking, oh, crikey. And then he came to the studio. And so I got to work with him. I just thought he was glorious. And I hate it when actors always go, oh, they're marvellous. But he was very, very cool. Very twinkly. Very attractive. (laughs) Because he was, he was twinkly and he was fun and he was talented and he was clever. And I just thought, good Lord. Yeah, he was lovely. Yeah. There's some actors you just can't even see acting. They're just so natural. I think John Hurt's one of those stars with that charisma and just his presence just carries weight. Yeah, yeah. It's huge charisma. So there are some actors that do nothing and it, it's just dull. <laughs> but but he, can, he looks like he's doing nothing, I suppose. But he's, he's like he's put the work in. You can really see it. You can really see that he he's he knows exactly what he's saying when he's saying it. And sometimes with these scripts, I get a bit lost. And I had a yesterday, I spent a long time with a lovely writer, Georgia, and just going, but I don't understand. What can what about the temporal orbit and the vortex? Does that mean that if you're in the vortex, you can't, or is it because I'm in the vortex? I don't understand. So yeah, you have to put some effort into these things because um they take thought. So finally, I think it's about 2000, no, 2015 was The War Doctor. Uh, I was just thinking when you came in to play um, Rain Creevy, um, which is becoming the Doctor's companion for a while in, in the Lost Stories, you, you first appeared in, in a Mark Platt story, Thin Ice, in the Lost Stories series, where you weren't playing Rain, but then the next episode you came back as a companion. So how did the whole Rain Creevy episode come about? Gosh. Well, they knew they had to cast it. I mean, how, how I got the role was I was actually boxing at the time and I just started uh, fighting and I had a fight coming up. So I was training quite hard for this fight. So I'd have to be doing a few rounds and sparring in the morning and coming with little kind of bruises everywhere. Um, and I think they thought it was funny. <laughs> they went, we've got this posh woman who was a bit of an ass kicker role coming up. Um, we were going to audition for it, but I mean we don't really think we need to so would you do it so I got taken out and I got bought wine and given a job by Ken Bentley and David Richardson and it was um it was a very good evening uh yeah and then I read these uh these scripts and they're they're funny but <laughs> they were nuts um uh, and great so I, I loved Rain she was she's quite short-lived I think so um some people go oh bring her back and I try and like all the tweets that go bring her back 
hoping I'll gain some traction. <laughs> we'll, yeah. do, we'll do some tweeting. I think Rain's an amazing character um, and, and a good balance against you know, Sophie Eldred's ace as well. So I think the two of them play quite differently. And I mean, one of the things about Rain is I think she stirs ace. It's hard to know, is she deliberately stirring in terms of just to be fun or is she actually be a bit narky? The you know, questions about her going to university and not, you know, and playing all dumb in terms of showing up yeah. aces lax. Um, so was all that in the script? Yeah, yeah, I think it was there, but I we probably pushed it further than, than that because because it was funny. We both wanted to play the comedy a lot, and uh, and it was uh, you know, and, and they're all they can all bandy together quite well on on, uh, on the Doctor Who companions. So it was really it's much more fun to be. Narky and Sophie's uh, great, so we we sparred off each other quite well, and um, and yeah, you could improvise around it, but then that's just to get the feel of it, and then you come back to the script because they've you know they've thought it through, so it's no good us going we can do better in thirty seconds off the top of our head, so we uh, it, 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 it is all in the script, um, but I I certainly tend to inject more sarcasm than is often meant in the writing, and uh, the, the the directors are always going. Mm, that, mm, can we be a little bit kinder than that? Oh, she was being quite sharp. You think, really? I was just just being sarcastic and putting her down. You think, yeah, but maybe, don't be so mean. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I got I got softened a bit. In the in the third story in that set, Animal, um, you got to work with Angela Bruce, and she she'd worked uh, originally in the TV series, but now she's back doing her own box sets with with unit and in the extras angela comes across as quite a quite a fun person to work with what are your memories of working with angela there she is that she's very she's got both the very quite hard direct side so she can play the hard stuff because she's she's got a ballsy woman who's um uh, a strong woman bright woman uh and she can be direct but she's also actually a really good giggler as well <laughs> so you the flip's great, and it means that she's playing quite a hard direct uh, character. So when she giggles, it's quite funny, <laughs> and she is. Um, yeah, she's she's bags of fun. She was loads of fun, but I haven't worked with her for a long time. It was a while ago. I mean, animals are interesting in terms of the. There's three very strong female characters who are very different. So there's your rain character, Sophie's ace, and Angela Bruce's brigadier. Um, how, what's it like in terms of having a play with so many strong women and yet being able to do very different roles and do different actions throughout? It's great. I mean, if we were three strong men, it wouldn't, we, nobody would go, what's it like to play, you know, you've got three strong men in one scene. How it, it's just, it, it's just great to play with good actors. I mean, whether they're playing plants or men or ghosts or whatever they're playing it's just good to be in there with good actors but but yeah it means you I suppose when you're battling for status all the time which is great because it, it can move if you have a scene where you've got one very very strong high status woman and one low status person you you're set in your tracks so you can do that but it's quite good when a scene moves and and you can see the jostle and, and the status changes um, and I could be quite like playing with that. So yeah, that is quite good for that. But um, great is the answer. <laughs> yeah, you are you are right. If you have strong men, you don't question it. But it's it's, it's good to get a play. And, and as I said, it was twelve years ago. This is a while ago now, where you have so many strong 
female parts. And in fact, all the all the women's parts were stronger than I think than all the men. Because even the doctor is, you know, he's a bit of a bumbler as well. But all the other male characters are majorly flawed. And it's actually the women do all the saving and all the rescuing of all the other of all the situation. You know, not just the men, but in terms of just the whole situation there. Um, yeah, Doctor Who as a brand has always been pretty, pretty good on that. I think they've always. Um, yeah, they haven't forgotten the women. They've never forgotten the women, even though the Doctor, I know Jodie was a woman, but I mean, uh, you know, the Doctor is historically male and the main part. I think the women have always had a pretty strong, fair crack at the, in that series. Although there was quite a lot of revealing clothes going on in the early days, I think. I think there was, only, there was a lot of 80s cleavage happening at some point, I think, which was a bit weird. But <laughs> a, whole, a whole leotard, so... That's, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Inexplicably, inexplicably yes. tight clothing. Yeah, for the dads, apparently. The what? For the dads. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because they need that, don't they, the dads? They can't, they've got me intellectually stimulated. They just... <laughs> oh, man. Hello, you're watching a special live emergency broadcast on all channels. They're calling it a UFO, but it's the strangest unidentified flying object you could imagine. A giant head, measuring an estimated 80 feet across, has appeared in the skies above London. It sounds like some kind of bizarre science fiction story, but it's true. Right! Listen up! I am your new commanding officer! Time to end this fast! Move it! Right at that thing! Open fire! What? How can the TARDIS be arriving? We just left it. Look, I, I can still see it right there behind us. This is another TARDIS. Looks like the very same old Type 40. Much older. Ancient even. Hello, you! Meet you! from eons along your timeline. Ah, the giddy joy. He looks younger than you. Yes, thank you, Rain. Have we met somewhere before? That rather depends on who you are. I'm the Doctor. Who else? Who's the bloke coming out of the tent? Just like Ebenezer Scrooge. That's the Doctor. Unit's scientific advisor. He commands respect. Did we lock horns back in the mists of time? Was there a row which I've long forgotten but still mm, smarts for you? There is something, isn't there? What is it? You really don't remember, do you? It really was serious, wasn't it? You, you seriously can't remember? This was something to do with the version of me with the umbrella that you mentioned when I arrived, am I right? That's the trouble with crossing the dimensional divide. You never quite know what you're going to unearth. For all you know, a massed attack on our flying head friends may cause a chain reaction that could ignite the Earth's atmosphere and snuff out all life on your precious little planet. So far there are two incursions. The initial reports suggest both incursions are by creatures unknown to us. All section commanders, man your post. We have incoming. We can only guess that they're going to attack. The authorities have already declared a state of emergency. I'm told the government have already been evacuated by helicopter and that the armed forces have mobilised and are moving to protect major population centres. 
so far, there have been no reports of attacks overseas, but it is surely only a matter of time before... Now, of course, the character Rain does actually come back um, in Union, Unit Dominion, which was a bit of a surprise and a, and a great story because it's a sort of a parallel universe thing. Um, did, were you, did you know that was going to happen beforehand? What, what was the sort of, what do they say to you in terms of bringing Rain back? I never know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> they, they, they don't trust me. You've heard that. I have to sort of say things and they go, am I allowed to say this? So nobody tells me anything. Um uh, no, I didn't. I mean, when they first did Rain, the very fact they gave it to me and they had to take me to the pub to tell me um, meant that it was going to be more than one episode, I suppose. So, but they didn't. I don't know how how far things go. I mean, like you know, with with Vecklin as well, Commander Vecklin. I I feel like I didn't get told about that one. I just just did one episode, and then there was another one, and there was another one. There was, and I, sometimes I'd like to see the whole arc and then chart it and be nuanced and subtle and, and, and not get anywhere too soon. But you, you don't get to do that. You have to play it in the moment, in the presence, serve the script and then do the next one. So I have no idea what was coming up. <laughs> how, how, how long in advance before you do, do you hear about getting it work? When do you get approached? Is it by email? You know, it's a couple of weeks out. Is it, you know, tomorrow? Can you come it, in? What, what's it like? It's really, it's so different. Um, sometimes you get the scripts the day before. So you have to be, you have to hope you're free. Um, sometimes, but you get you get checked because they've got this, they're wrangling a lot of quite high caliber busy actors, I think, and so uh, they have to put feelers out really early on. So you'll get a text sometimes or a WhatsApp if it's Sam or uh, an email if it's Ken. They've all got their own ways. Um, I think Ken would probably do it by carrier pigeon if he could, but he's he's had to embrace it. Um, actually, it might be unfair. He's quite digital, <laughs> like, and uh, and uh, and then they'll sort of say, "I we think of doing a second week in August," and you, and you know, then ten people go, "I'm on holiday, I'm on holiday," they think, oh, and they'll move it. So it's a vague thing, and then they'll say, "These are the four days we've locked down. Who can do what?" And then they have the biggest headache of working out the schedule. And there's always going to be gaps where they have to get readers to read in and then record that later. But I think they sit there with the most monstrous schedule and they try and work out what happens. And then this can then, because you've sort of said you're free around those days, it can be about a week before that they go, we want you on the first and second. So um, I think if you're a doctor, you know, I'd say if you're, if you're a doctor, if you're really busy, they, they go to you first. Like Nicola Walker, I'm probably sure they want to lock her down. They have to get in there pretty early. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 quite random. They all have their own ways of doing it, um, and some I know that it's coming up six months in advance. In actual fact, I know, I know there's going to be some stuff coming up next year. But then I also did something last year, a few weeks ago, and I was in there, and they went, "Oh, can you do something on Wednesday?" I think, yeah, right. And it was they turned me the script. It's, it's random. Yeah, sometimes being seen, you get worked about. But you know, oh, you're there. We'll give you more work. So, and, and I think because they're working across so many years, I, I know, you know Jason Hagelli was saying they've got, you know, stories in the can for 2030 already done, and so they're working with some actors years out of, of release, and so you, know, you might do three weeks of work, but they may be coming out in three months, twelve months, three years, and you know, so 
it's not too much of you because of the spread. Yeah, and well, at that point, that's when people want to talk to you about it. And you think, I can't what? remember a thing. Was it? What was? And then you feel like you're being really disrespectful, going, "Oh, I don't know. I did a play." But you think, "No, I was. I did read it. I was there at the time. I was invested in it." But I have to go back and find scripts, and uh, yeah, and I've had to get myself in the Big Finish app because then I can say, "Please, can you send me this? I've got to talk about it." Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's very. It can be quite confusing. Um, yeah. We've spoken with a number of actors who, like yourself, have worked with multiple different doctors. And um, what, what's it like? There's, there seems to be a, a different atmosphere for each individual doctor. Can you verbalise the different doctors that you've worked with and sort of give us an idea of what, what the room's like? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sylvester comes in with so much energy and so much focus. He can pull a room together in seconds because he's he's on it and he's in the energy in the room is huge it's just a firing and then and it becomes um there's a lot of i hate the word banter there's a lot of you know jokes going on and messing around but then you hit the scene and it's it it's it, you get fueled by the energy in the room so you, you do it at that thing at the end of the day you're absolutely exhausted because <laughs> you run on sylvester energy which is crackers and um and then you've got uh and then you've got paul who is uh much more laid back, but he's 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 maybe a more he's like a more distilled version because it's bristling in here. He's so, and he's very specific, and he so there's a lot of but there's a lot of focus. I think <laughs> because Peter makes me laugh. Uh, I, he's got it feels more chaotic, and I have not I, that was really unfair. I haven't worked with him enough. Only with him once ages ago. And I think it was so nice to be working with him. We just, there was more messing about. <laughs> but, but sorry, he doesn't mess about. He takes it very seriously. But um, yeah, he makes me laugh. And uh, he, Tom, I mean, Tom kind of, it's like a hand grenade in the middle of the room. He's, everyone sort of circles around him because the sort of booming power of personality in the middle of the room is, is overwhelming. And, uh, and yeah, Colin. Colin's very cerebral. He, you know, he'll, he'll uh, intellectualize a lot of it, script understanding, and he wants to get out to the nitty gritty. And that's much more fun. It's no good phoning it in. It's no fun. There's no fun, you know, not being prepared or phoning a script in because it's more tiring that way. The more engaged you are in it, the more energized you are. And and he really pours it around and wants to understand it and changes things around and uh, you know gets into it. Um, I'm terrified to take it of, of, of saying things about everybody now because. I'm now forget. Oh, oh, you know, and like I said, John Hurt. That just was an was a glory. Well, as it, like I said, he was just um, just so interesting and fascinating and twinkly. And when he and the anecdotes were just you kind of you wanted to do the scenes with him because you were thinking the whole time, it's John Hurt's voice in the ear, in the earphones. It's John Hurt. And then you come out and you want to spend all your time just having lunch because the anecdotes were great, great. Um, and uh, uh, and yes, and then, then lots of other. Am I missing out really important doctors that I work with? No, I, think that's, I think that's all the doctors you've hit. Good, good, good. It's kind of about because you saw about John Hurt and Jacqueline Pierce you were working with at the same time. And I know Jacqueline and John were huge friends. Um, what was it like having Jacqueline in the room too? Well, I met Jacqueline at, at a convention 
and we sat one evening and and there was, there was three of us I think it was me and her and maybe Janet and and we just drank wine and laughed and I'm and she's and she's just she is a bit like the female John Hurt but she's she's got they had that kind of vampy cool twinkly secrets she was a lot of fun I remember when I first sat with her and drank wine at this convention just thought she's great fun and then to have them both in the room because they're watching them reminisce together it meant that the anecdotes weren't so much you know one person with an audience and you just sitting in the room listening to this and then and then he what with Sammy Davis Jr what what it, it, the names are extraordinary and they were both so they were it was of a time when they were you know work when they were young it was a different industry they were in and and the vamping around with the elegance and the most Hollywood dies the Hollywood glamour of it and there was something Hollywood glamour always about Jacqueline um but she laughed a lot they both laughed a lot I think that was that was what was so enjoyable watching them and they yeah they were very good mates oh they were I'm yeah I'm I knew Jacqueline more than I knew John I did miss her I do miss her I think she um yeah, the great, great twinkly stars, the pair of them. You've mentioned, Beth, a couple of times uh, conventions. I, I just want to get your your impression of of conventions and, and Doctor Who fans. What, what's your impression? My impression is when I first went, I you kind of arrogantly think that they're there to see you or, so, you know, not me, but Sylvester, the, the people. And... And then, I, and then I slowly understood that it was it was more of a party and a get together. And when I went to Gallifrey, I remember thinking they were very kind to each other. It was a really kind community. And I remember this guy dressed as a Dalek singing "Sweet Caroline" in the karaoke, and everyone just loved. and I just thought, "Wow, these people are having an absolute ball!" And it felt like it felt like a people of a certain tribe just all getting together is when they were all just like, this is my, this is my time. And I think I always felt like I was sort of um, not an intruder, but a, a guest at their party. I didn't think they were a guest at my party. I very much thought we were a guest at theirs. And, but they, oh, and I know, I mean, I'm, you know, when I was used to do them a lot with rain, I, I would get to know the people um, and they were fab. They were, I mean, love them. Um, yeah, very kind and just, just very kind. And I did do a lot of. I hope no um uh, organisers watch this bit, but I did do a lot of skulking in corridors, signing things on the slide, <laughs> just in lifts. We going, won't say anything. Yeah, and, and I had a few. And if there was a photograph, take it, bum. Um, yeah, I think there was a. There was a really overwhelming. Obviously, they're having a nice time because it's their. This is their thing, uh, you know. If you're, you're celebrating Doctor Who and you're a Doctor Who fan, great. But they weren't just they were kind of happy and upbeat. They were really lovely and yeah, it's kind of they were nice to each other. You kind of thought, oh wow, it's quite a cool community here, and some of the kids as well. Um, it was nice. It was just nice to chat to them. Yeah, I, I thought I'd be a bit overwhelmed by it because, uh, you know, I don't know many. And I thought that, it was, yeah, I thought I might, might be a bit intimidated about, you know, by it all, you know, like I didn't really know. But um, 
how to deal with it. But they were just nice, kind people. <laughs> You've done dozens of Doctor Who stories now playing so many different roles from the normal to the ridiculous. Um, do you actually have a background with Doctor Who? Did you know the show much before you started being in Big Finish? Not a great deal. I mean, I watched it when I was young with Tom Baker was mine. Um, and uh, and I watched it then. And and then I drifted away from it. And so this did pull me back. So I don't, I, I feel like I, was, like I ought to lie and say, yes, I was born into a Doctor Who family and, and the whole way through. But no, that would be a lie. So I, yeah, I watched it. I was young, loved it. Was actually uh, the theme tune. The theme tune still make, makes me... It's you know judder. I've got nostalgic fear. Um, my body memory does find that theme tune a bit disturbing, <laughs> um, which I suppose is a good thing. Uh, so yeah, no. But my I've been uh, it's been quite a crash course. I say crash course. It's been like twenty years. <laughs> How long have I been doing this? Fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah, it's not such a crash course. Oh, that's pretty big. Um, now, one of my favourite things you've done it was actually Doctor Who. It was actually a Blake Seven Chronicles, which you may or may not remember. It was just, I mean, that's when, in terms of what was it like playing in that 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 field in terms of the Blake Seven area? Because Dwayne knows the the Chronicles, Doctor Who Chronicles, Blake Seven Chronicles. I just adore because it's just two actors getting to act, usually with superb scripts, being very creative. Um, do you remember much about the um, the false positive you did for the Eddie Robson's play? I remember working with Gareth Thomas. Yes. Was that? Yeah. yeah. And I remember I was playing a psychologist, I think. You were. But you're right. It was much more, thank you. It was much more um, uh, intimate. You're right. And, and I remember the proper chats. There, there's less kind of, run, incoming, obliterate. There's not, you know, there's less of that going on. So I found, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I know I really enjoyed but I can't say too much because it was a, a while ago but um um yeah great to work with Gareth and uh, and he was another one people some people sort of think when actors the older actors don't know if that's rude um uh, you know there's this myth that uh that sometimes they sort of fall off the get be less energized or be less focused or be less present but Gareth as well I mean yeah, he was. It was. I was very much following his lead, and um, it was great. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Blake Seven, The Liberator Chronicles, Volume Two. We're down and safe. Blake, can you hear me? Blake. Something wrong? There's something blocking communication with the Liberator. Low-flying aircraft on our tail, sir. They look to be armed. Well, here we are again. Is this a social call, or are you intending to kill me? It would be perfectly justified. You've so much blood on your hands. I like to tell myself that we stood for something. Blake had a moral code was leading a crusade against the Federation. Should we be impressed? You don't know what the Federation are like. You're not supposed to know. No, we shouldn't be impressed. We should never have heard his name. That was the whole point. My name is Blake. You pretend this ship is the Liberator, that you're all Blake's crew. There was always a certain amount of risk involved in telling you the truth and setting it on record. Men like you are dangerous. 
You have to choose a side. I shall never serve you. And I told you, Nairon, you shall, whether you like it or not. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. There was um, a short story that we were uh, talking about recently on the podcast, or maybe a year ago now, so it's not that recent, but it was one that you did. It was called Twilight's End, and it was it was you doing all the voices, um, so half-hour short trip. How do you go doing those um, as opposed to a full-cast audio? What kind of preparation is different for an audiobook reading for you um, as opposed to an audio drama? Is it more difficult? Yeah, it kind of is because, um, yeah, it is. Uh, you because for me I do a lot of audiobooks and it's I don't want to interrupt the listener's um ear with my impressions or whatever so I have to give it'd be no good if I was doing the voice of a doctor or doing the voice of voice of characters that they know and just making no attempt at it at all because they'd be thinking oh that doesn't feel right but if I try and do a full-on impression, then they'll just be thinking, oh, it, it's you, the, hitting the right level there of just giving the suggestion of it um, and just not, I kind of don't want to get in the way, I suppose. Um, and if you're on your own, no one's going to pull you back. No one's going to, again, with the energy in the room, no one is going to change the, change the pace, change the tone, keep it going, keep it, when you're other people in the room, you can you can be more energized with the yeah and change up the tone and the pace and everything oh sorry bit of a street sweeping and um but on your own I find sometimes I can speed up you probably notice I speak quite quickly sometimes and um and I can just speed up and speed up and speed up and speed up and do because I'm doing it and I just <laughs> I do that and then the luckily the producer will say can we just go back a bit um yeah concentration is harder um not over committing to the voices and doing too much is harder. Finding that balance is harder. Um, not over painting it. I think that all of it's not, you don't want to say, and then they opened the door and you there because people were just a little bit patronized. So it's, you're the only one finding the right pitch. And that could be the energy, the pace, the rhythm, the voices, the volume, everything is just you. And you have to, focus the whole time or one of them will go wrong i think well that particular story that i was referring to was a was a seventh doctor story and so i guess with doing sylvester you could get away with going a bit faster at times but <laughs> yeah. your sylvester uh was fantastic in that story i've got to say oh thank you thank you i've probably just been working with him so felt like uh yeah felt like that in fact i was working yesterday with um I can say these things, yeah, with, with a few actors. And they were talking about when they had to read in for Tom Baker when he wasn't there. And just saying everybody had their impression of Tom Baker, all slightly different, but all really good. So, uh, yeah, there are some people that are easier to to um, to copy than others. But, yeah, I've just been working with Sylvester, I think. So all I knew was keeping the – you need to get the flavour. You need to get the flavour of the – the darting, the quick thinking, and sometimes he stresses things in unusual ways. So you have to 
throw little curveballs in and you bite certain words and and you get the feeling that his brain is always going <laughs> so as long as that's happening when you're doing him then I don't have to do an impression as such so it's all right especially because I'm a girl and I have a different voice you know doing uh, blokes voices after a while, it'd be really difficult if I just did that all the time. <laughs> I just think it'd just sound really annoying. Sounds good, though. <laughs> Thanks very much. But you're doing a lot of gestures and, and, and movement while you're talking to us describing that. So is that how you work, um, either in audio or audio books? You throw your body into it yes. as well? I do. I do a lot of that, and I punch the microphone quite a lot, which really engineers don't like that much. So I do. I, very, I can't understand I, why. I know, and um, and I had to always take off jewelry and watches, and and I had a jacket on yesterday, and I, I just it was just every time I moved, it was rattling around, and yeah, I'm very. Also, I know I need to keep the energy in my voice, and if I don't have it, it just sort of goes through the floor and it goes out through the feet, and then even whatever you're playing, sort of is just less energized so even if I'm playing someone who's really boring or really bored I still have to do it with energy and I have to keep moving my feet so I do a lot I used to do a lot of shadow boxing when I was fighting and and somehow when I'm at the microphone sometimes just just moving every part of me just make sure that it all stays awake watching I mean you have so much energy like you were just exuding energy all the time it's it's making me feel exhausted um how do you write because does the trouble with writing is sit down, focus, don't move. Are you able to do that okay too, or do you bounce off the off the walls? You go through writing? the keyboards. Yeah, I just well, I have a writing partner, and she is a much better uh, computer. All her computer skills are far superior. I would say a much better typist, but if she ever heard me call her a typist, I think she <laughs> work together. And she drives. You know, when we have final draft up, she she drives, and I can. Pop it, but sometimes, uh, yeah, I might walk about a bit, and uh, um, or in fact, I I did some. I was in the plank for a while. She went, I can tell you're in the plank. Stop it now. So um, <laughs> stop doing stomach muscle exercises while we're working. And, and you said um, you, you box as well. Do you, do you still box? No, no. I I got punched in the face too much, and I mean, reversing my car, my neck doesn't go down very far. So yeah. <laughs> I've decided that's no good. But why, um, why did you take up boxing? I don't know. Well, I was going to do a I have to do some presenting on a show, and in that show, I never. I'm a terrible presenter. Um, I was going to have to wear racing overalls, and I said, I'm "Not wearing ra- racing overalls are a tough thing to wear at the best of times." It was on telly, no. And then they said, "Well, how can we make you do that?" It was supposed to be driving around the track with Damon Hill and and like a Formula One. I want to be a race driver, kind of thing. And uh, and they said, how what would make you do that? And I said, we well, get me a personal trainer, and then I'll do it. And they did. So and then I met the personal trainer, and I said, like every person in the world, uh, obviously I'd love to be Lara Croft. I'd like to be kind of martial arty. And he went, mm, well, I don't know that, but I am a boxer. So I said, well, let's learn that then. And then three trainers later, I seemed to have got really into it. And then I went and trained in Barcelona. And then I got put in for a fight. And then I, because I've been doing it for a long time without fighting, but just, just as body memory. And I was good. And I thought, oh, this is great. No one can beat me. <laughs> this is great. And then, yeah, I just kept going. And I did. I mean, I wasn't professional, but I did get promoters ringing me up saying, we've got a fighter in Manchester. Would you come and do that? Um, 
And I got uh, I got a promoter saying there was a girl coming in from Germany who had a fight and she wanted a warm up fight. It really hurt. <laughs> I mean, I I don't I don't live I don't I don't constantly train. I'm not I'm not fight ready all the time. Um, I when I've got a fight, I have to change diet, exercise, everything for a couple few months, really. Um, but the rest of the time, I'm drinking wine and eating cake and sitting down watching telly. So I, and then they said, I thought, yeah, I'll do it. I was so not ready for it. Um, also, she was southpaw, so she was coming in with them. Um, her jab was the wrong hand, and I was walking into her 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 hooks all the time. And it was, and I thought, I don't like this very much. I'm not enjoying this <laughs> this boxing. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, yes. It, it, I mean, you can I say you, your normal speaking voice is just beautiful in terms of it's, you know the uh, sort of RP. I don't know if that's correct thing to say, but you have the most lovely spoken voice. You put on amazing voices because there's so many shows I listen to you in. I've got no idea to you to look at the cast list later and you know being quarks or whatever you happen to be. Um, but can I say your voice doesn't match a boxer <laughs> in any way? No, I, I know. I know there was a loss of um. I did there was a an article in like the Reader's Digest um, for everyone who goes to the dentist. And um, yeah, it was sort of going, this, this is the voice of Radio 4, uh, but also boxing. This is weird. So, yeah. You don't put on a bit of an East Ender voice when you're boxing? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I haven't, actually, but uh, maybe we should have tried that, tried to intimidate them. Certainly. <laughs> I can't do the intimidating. And I think people are always going, are you trying to like? Are you trying to contain this huge rage within you? Not really. <laughs> and you're taming the inner animal. No, I had to find it. I don't. There isn't much rage. There isn't much rage there. So it meant that I could be composed, and I I didn't kind of lose it halfway through when I got punched. I was, hmm, yeah. So basically, you enjoyed it while you were winning, but once you started losing, not so much. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Now, since 2015, you've been playing the Time Lord Vecklin. Um, so it started with John Hurt, as we've already talked about. But you've since gone on to Susan's War, um, the War Room, Gallifrey. Vecklin keeps popping up all over the place. Um, Good. <laughs> the more, the better, I'm sure you're, you're thinking. Um so just how, how was it, do you know how the role of Vecklin came about? Was it just you were available the day they needed you and and the character stuck? I think that was it. Yeah, I think it was it was with, with Jacqueline because she was the, you know, playing Alistair at the time. And so I was just playing a second in command. And I thought it would just pop in there once and be this character. And I didn't really know there was going to be much of an arc because she was quite straight. Um, so I just did this very military unemotional person and then she came back and then she came back and then after about the fourth time I thought oh this is going to be a thing then <laughs> and uh and then she's because she's there a lot she's now having she's getting she's got more and more sarcastic as things have gone on so she started off quite very unemotional and a bit detached but now to keep it going and not just become you know and, and to keep some color in it I suppose um, and the scripts have, I, I think I started to put some sarcasm into it. And now the scripts are now dripping with sarcasm. <laughs> I get it. Wow. And in fact, the last one I did, um, one of the, her, one of her lines had to be responded to with, what's your tone? And you think the early Vecklin didn't really have that kind of tone. There wouldn't have been a, you couldn't have said that to anything. <laughs> so I think she's just 
she's been doing this job for a long time and she never, to begin with, she thought I want to do a good job. And now she's well, sometimes the only one doing a good job and she doesn't suffer fools. People are getting in the way. They're slowing her down. They're not listening to what she's saying. And after a while, it gets wearing. And she'd like to just be left to do it on her own and they can all, you know, go away. That's how I see her. It was, I mean, originally she was a character that I expected to be killed off fairly early on because she wasn't particularly nice and no one liked her. But she's really developed warmth. And in fact, now that when she reappears, it's actually, yeah, I think, I think maybe this is a sarcasm. Because she's now funny, you can actually put up with the other traits which are a bit more negative. But there's also a, more of a character to her as well, which I think just is you know, driving her on. It's a bit like a bit like Sean Carlson's Narvin, actually, in that in that respect. He started off a very different person and sort of got more and more over the years and people really can't live without him now. So I think that'll be the same with Vecklin, Beth. I Well, I do hope so. I do hope so. Um, but, yes, there are times when, in fact, I think a little bit, even a little bit of em, um, emotional empathy might be even sneaking in at times. Wow. Maybe not empathy. <laughs> That's a bit of fun. Maybe maybe a moment of softness, a little a softness which she would think was weakness, but the little the little cracks in the in the armor, I think, uh, cropping up. Did you get to work with Carol Ann Ford and William Russell? Were you in studio with them? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Susan's War. That was what was that like? Fantastic. I mean, it was it was it was great. William Russell, I'd worked with I think before. Um, just incredibly charming, really I, uh, wonderful to work with. Her. Really lovely to work with, and you know knows what he's doing. And um, uh, yeah, Caroline Ford was just just fun. She just she was uh, she'd done it. She, you know, she knew exactly what she was doing. This is her her part, her character. She was the centre of it. Um, and yeah, we had a great time. She was it was she was fantastic to work with. It was mm. a treat. So that was yeah, such a great box. I'm still hoping for the second one, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Always up to work. So, <laughs> aside from Big Finish, what else are you doing? Well, writing a bits and bobs, um, um, and doing voicing cartoons. I'm voicing quite a few cartoons at the moment. I voice a, a cartoon called Number Blocks, um, which, if anyone has any tiny children around, it's uh, yeah, it's been helping children learn maths over the um, pandemic. But it's now a huge thing over here. We're doing Series Seven at the moment. Wow. Um, so, yeah, and it's a bit of an all singing, all dancing, silly voices thing, which is great fun. And I've got another one called Odo, another one called Coop Troop. So, yeah, a lot of cartoons uh, going on at the moment. Um, how, does that acting- pro- how does that process work? Do you record first and then make the cartoon around your voice? Or do they do the, do the visuals first and you come in and lips, you sync to the voices? How does it work? It totally depends. With number blocks, um, they they have a scratch of it and then we voice it and then they change it and then we put little decorations in of like you know gasps or whatever so it's a really symbiotic um relationship sometimes they've already been voiced they're voiced in french and you've got the you have to work out how you're going to say what the french have said in two words but it takes us 12 how you're going to do it and all the chicken does is go oh and you think I've got to? I've got to say what? <laughs> so I'm, you know, I've suddenly got to go to that. Well, I don't know. I wasn't even there, and uh, <laughs> there is no time to say these things. So it's a battle sometimes. Um, but yeah, it, it it 
changes and because but because I'm voicing a lot of animals the you, the lip syncing is easier it's easy doing I did a Ronya Robbers uh daughter which was um studio Ghibli Ghibli and uh because it's people that's quite specific you have to you have to get that lip syncing just right well good luck for your future projects and we're looking forward to hearing you many more times on big finish thank you very much it's been lovely to meet you guys and uh, and great to chat to you and uh yeah um, i i hope, hope to still be doing this and i chat to you again soon when we go who knew that 20 years later i'd still be doing this <laughs> big finish we love stories What's your name? Who, who are you? Yes, it's, it's all right. It's all right. You, 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 you can tell me. Who are you? No one. Always remember, in your hearts, the doctor! The universe is a far more dangerous place without you. Oh. I'm afraid I'm dead. Didn't you know? If you want to give me anything, make it peace and quiet. Where are you? Hypocrites. The lot of you. Then, this is it. Doctor. Don't call me that! Lock all weapons on target! You think I'm not a monster? Well, look at me now! Prepare for total extermination of the Time Lords! Look at me! See! See! I'm a monster now, aren't I? Doctor! Nobody of that name here! told you, the TARDIS. Now, go, go, go. No, no, I'm coming with you. Don't be an idiot. I know the Daleks. I know them. The war has finally found me again. You're not a monster. 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 Only the Monstrous. The War Doctor. Volume 1. Well, Philip, that was lovely, wasn't it? Chatting with Beth Chalmers. So thanks to Beth for spending so much time with us. Yes, charming woman and lots of interesting things there. Excellent. All right, how about we go straight into our recommendations? And what I'd like to recommend this time is... No, I can't. It's your turn. Always is. I'm going to recommend a recent release, The Ark. So this is the remaking of John... Oh, okay, I guess... How to pronounce John Lucaretti? Is that how you pronounce his name? Lucarotti. Lucarotti. Sorry, apologies for any Lucarotti people out there. So John Lucarotti, who of course wrote some amazing First Doctor stories, uh, the Aztecs and Marco Polo. And so they decided to bring him back to write the arc. And so this is the four scripts, which they managed to find the original scripts before Robert Holmes changed it all to the arc in space. 
So it's the Doctor, Tom Baker, Harry and Sarah. And you can actually hear what was the original script going to be like until Robert Holmes went, no, nope, that's not suitable. And totally changed to be one of the best shows ever in the Ark in Space. It's not too bad. Like, I didn't expect... <laughs> I didn't expect it to be too good. The fact that Robert Holmes had rejected it and rewritten it. There's hardly any elements that carry across. There's an arc. Um, there's the Doctor, Harry and Sarah. There's a character called Vara. There's a character called Noah. But aside from that, there's hardly any similarities. I guess there's some stuff with l lack of air and things. But really, it's a totally brand new fourth Doctor story. And if you didn't know... Actually, no, actually, the Doctor's a bit different. But anyhow, it's a fascinating piece of history. It's wonderful to hear what they've done with it. A amazing, amazing um, reinvention, or not reinvention is the wrong word, adaption by Johnny Morris, and really, really worth listening to. So if you're interested in that period, and the sound effects and the music are out of this world. So amazing sound design, amazing music. Yeah, listen to it. It's, it's great. And I, I, guess I, I, know, to... and I know a lot of people have been having issues with Dalek Genesis of War um, because that's only terror. one episode. Terror. Genesis of Terror. That's only one episode and they don't like the stage directions and there's all sorts of things. I know it's, it's divided. It's divided people really strongly. People have very strong opinion, opinions about it. This is just a classic forecast recording. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. It's a full script adapted really well by Johnny Morris and I've really enjoyed it. I guess it's similar in a, in a way to Return of the Cybermen, which was originally by Jerry Davis, wasn't it? And it was uh, that was quite different as well. There were I, probably enjoy, few... I have enjoyed it more than that. I mean, once again, that was another... That, that Listening to that Return of the Cybermen was very much a, this is a fascinating piece of Doctor Who history. It's, it's good to hear it being made. The arc I'm really enjoying as its own story. So... Right. It, 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 it's even a step above, I think, what Return of the Cybermen did. Because as a Return of the Cybermen, I did enjoy, and it was, a, it was a clever... It was good to see what was originally there, but I saw it more as a historian comparing stories. The arc actually holds really strong to being a good piece of drama as well. Very good. What about you, Dwayne? What are you going to recommend? I'm going to recommend the, war, the latest War Doctor Begins box set that I've been listening to. I haven't listened to it all the way through yet. It's called Comrades in Arms, and it stars Beth Chalmers in one of the leads as Vecklin. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed The War Doctor Begins. For, 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 for reasons I might go into another time, um, I have I have put off The War Doctor Begins, but it's not to do with the story or the production or anything like that. Jonathan Carley's War Doctor is superb. Jonathan Carley is amazing. Like he just blows me away how good he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's got the War Doctor down pat. It's 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 beautiful to listen to. Um and wonderful and, director. Lou, Lou Jamison's director direction is just amazing. Well, this is the first one that oh, Louise hasn't directed. This is Barnaby Kay. So he's taken on this uh, this uh series now. So because obviously it's Louise is... It's interesting that they really handed these boxes over to top-notch actors. Actors, yes. Because, I mean, yeah, Louise, Louise is primarily an, an actor, and she is 
amazing and has always been, has, a, has an amazing career across Barney Kike is the same an amazing actor so talented and I think because these do you think it's because the war doctor has a theatrical quality about it they're, they're I think so I was going to say that they sort of took the words right out of my mouth they're Shakespearean, yeah. Shakespearean so you actually need quality actors who can direct as well the whole Which story is, of the war doctor is a huge theatrical tragedy and yeah so that's what they're that's what they're sort of encapsulating within these sets. Yeah, and uh, this is no exception. So I would recommend that Comrades in Arms, the latest War Doctor Begins set, and that's my recommendation. It's a great one. All right, it's been a pleasure to uh, to share this time with you today, Philip. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure spending time with you too, Dwayne. Ah, oh, you never say that to be enough, you know. Oh, I could, yeah. Well, you need it so much. Yeah, you can never say enough to you, Dwayne. Yeah, true. All right. <laughs> You're just needy. Right. You're just needy, mate. Needy. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we will catch you all next time. Bye, everyone. This has been the Sirens of Audio episode 161, Pulling No Punches, with our guest Beth Chalmers and your hosts, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Original theme music composed by Joe Kramer. Our website is sirensofaudio.com. Comment below to let us know what you thought of the episode or contact us via email at sirensofaudio at gmail.com or any one of our socials. Thanks for listening, audio files. We'll hear you next time.